<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Since it's abuse or whatever, they have to report. Within an hour later, I'm pulled out of class. I'm taken to the police station, meeting just random people and going out and having sex with them. I don't know if either one of my sons are the hookup babies or the father's babies. Welcome to Stand Up Speak Up, a Canadian-made podcast highlighting important social issues and giving a voice to remarkable people. Today's guest goes by Erica and has endured a lifetime of trauma marked by a difficult upbringing, abusive relationships, an addiction to phone sex, attempted suicide, and a number of diagnosed mental health issues. A few episodes back, we heard of a website called writeaprisoner.com. While Erica is not a prisoner herself, she has turned to the site in what seems to be a way of coping with her own past and actually fell in love with a man on the inside who turned out to only be using her. Erica's story highlights yet another case of neglect and having nowhere to turn and nobody who believed her when she needed it the most. Did you come from a large family or what was your family like? No, my family wasn't large. I was the firstborn. My mother was 19 when she had me. My father was 30. Was it a loving marriage? Um, At first it was. Okay. But my father drank a lot. He was an alcoholic. So by the time my brother was born, there was more fighting and arguing. I think that's right around the time they got a divorce. I think right around the time my brother was about two, they got a divorce. And... um my mother started moving us around a lot. And would she move you around for what reason? She'd meet a new boyfriend or for a job or? I don't know. I don't even really, really know. I was too young. I just, I don't know if it was because of rent or what. I mean, but it was just house to house, different neighborhood to neighborhood. So I'd get pulled out of one school to another school, then back to the same school I just came from. Also during this period when she would, she would leave me alone with my aunt and her husband at the time and her husband would molest me as a child. So in between all this period of moving and forth, I'm being molested and I'll only tell anybody because I don't know how to tell anybody. You never told your mom or your aunt or somebody at school? No, I know. Well, I never really told anybody and like, it was in first grade where he came to pick me up and I refused to go with him. And I thought maybe if they, if the school would ask questions or whatever, but they never did. And so, I mean, the abuse continued until I was about 12 years old. Did you tell anyone ever? Did you, do you talk about it with your mom now or your aunt or? No, um, I opened up about it when I was in high school. Because when I was around 10, 11 years old, my grandparents adopted me. And the area where I lived in, the high school, was bad. And my grandparents didn't want me to go there. And they couldn't afford to send me to Catholic Catholic school. So um, my uncle, who is now my 
brother, because of adoption, moved to a town in Minnesota. So he brought me up there with him and I went to high school up there. And my freshman year, I opened up to my boyfriend at the time and he's like, well, we need to tell, you should tell the counselor or whatever and see what they can do for you. So I went one day, I made an appointment with the counselor and I told her I opened up about it and since it's abuse or whatever, they have to report. So I go back to class and that day, um, within an hour later, I'm pulled out of class. I'm taken to the police station. They're questioning me, ask me all sorts of questions. Then they take me to a hospital and do a physical exam on me. And this time I'm only 12. And so I'm scared. Wait, are you 12 or you're in high school? Wait. Well, yeah, I was 12. I was, I was the youngest kid in high school. You went to high school when you were 12? Yeah. My birthday was in October, so I started high school when I was 12. And you had a boyfriend yeah. as early as grade 9? Yeah. And did you have an intimate relationship with your boyfriend that young? No, I did not. Okay. So he's, you're just feeling like this is your new best friend and you're telling him this, but now you're right. living in Minnesota or are you living, where are you living? Yeah, I'm living in Minnesota. So they did a physical exam, and then they bring me back to the police station. And at this point, my uncle slash brother, who I'm living with, is freaking out because he went to school to pick me up, and I'm not there. So they call him to the police station, and they inform him on what's going on and that they're going to do an investigation. And of course, he believes me. Well, we call grandma slash mom. And she doesn't believe me because I never t told anybody. And after that, the investigation kind of dropped off. I don't remember what happened. Nothing was pursued. And it was just kind of dead. Nothing was brought up or said anything about it. Did she contact your biological mother and explain the situation? Uh, no. W was it her son-in-law that you said had been doing that? It, well, yeah, it was, it was the son-in-law. And she didn't believe you? Yeah, she didn't believe me that he would be doing it, so, like, that he would do it. How did that make you feel? Oh, it made me feel horrible. To, the, to this day, they still don't believe me, and I don't associate with hardly anybody in my family. I associate with my baby sister and my baby brother. That's it. I, I don't associate with my real mom or my parent, grandparents slash parents, I don't associate with any of them. How did that situation with your uncle and then not being believed, how did that affect you in your two teen years? Did it affect the kind of decisions you made or what, what, what happened in your high school years? Like the first three years of high school were, were okay. I mean, I hung out with different crowds. Um, I mean, I got involved with smoking, smoking weed, drinking. And then my senior year, everything kind of fell apart. I started dating an older boy that was not in high school. Friends were dating older boys, and they were in different, different classes. I got diagnosed with bipolar depression. So I really didn't want to go to school. I kind of wanted to sleep. I mean, we know a lot more about bipolar now and depression, but what was it like? in your high school years? I mean, were many people educated on any of it at all? No, no. 
Yeah, I didn't even know what it was. I mean, they'd give me meds and then I'd want to sleep all day. And then when I when I got up, I would go drinking and go go hang out at my boyfriend's house. So, or if I did go to school, I was in one door and out the other. Do you think you were more promiscuous in your high school years? I didn't really start having sex until I was 16. And that was with my boyfriend that I was with my senior year. When I started with him, then I realized, wow, this, with being with him and doing that, helped the nightmares go away. I don't know why, but being intimate started helping the nightmares go away. Is it because you saw that it could be done with love? I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I just, I just became addicted to it once, you know, I started sleeping with him and then I ended up sleeping with his best friend. And then I got pulled out of, pulled out of high school around February. And, um, I had to leave, leave that behind everything behind and come back stay with my grandparents slash parents again. I got my GED right away. I got a job and I didn't have any friends and I was lonely. So I found a Sunday paper and they had for like all these hotlines to talk and chat and meet people. So I went on that and started talking to people to meet people. And that's when I became, started becoming more sexually active, meeting just random people and going out and having sex with them or even phone sex. What were the kind of feelings it would give you? I don't know. It, it, it gave me a more feeling of more being wanted and that I actually wanted it this time and before I didn't want it. I'm in control this time. You're in control. Okay, so you felt I'm in control. I'm picking the person. And did you develop any type of reputation or anything that you might have felt uncomfortable with? Would, did, did anybody kind of see this behavior and be like, whoa, that's, that's a lot? No, no, because I wasn't doing it with like the circle of friends, guys or whatever. It was different people from different towns or whatever. I don't think my grandparents slash parents knew what I was doing when I went out or if they did, they didn't question it. I mean, they knew, obviously I was talking on the phone because when you get a $3,000 phone bill. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you, you are now calling these lines and racking up a bill. Yeah. Okay. So you got addicted to phone sex. Yes. Okay. Okay. And so what happened when that bill came in? Well, yeah, I needless to say I was in trouble. Um, the phone got taken away from me. I helped pay the bill off because I was working. But yeah, it was hard for a while not having a phone. So, and I had an addiction. So I had to start going to the library and getting on the internet and going to chat rooms that way. Did you ever think of potentially applying to one of these phone hotlines and becoming an agent? Um, I did. At the time, I was too young. But it's been brought. It, it was. It's been brought up a lot recently. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not recommending that. I'm. I'm just saying that. Right. I know. I mean, I. It's been. I've gotten a lot of recommendations. Like, so many guys would tell me, "You're so good at this. I don't know how you do it, but you're good at this. You should really. You should become an agent." And blah blah blah. Yeah. 
But at this point, you're you're calling other services, and are you talking to men, women? Who, who are you mostly talking to? It's not really. They weren't not really like sex hotlines. They were like regular like chat lines where women and men from all over that area that I lived in would call in to meet other people. Okay. Like, which now is all free because now it all happens on forums and groups. And back then it was right. paid. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. Were you suffering with depression during this time too? Or were you on the right medications? Oh, yeah. or? No, I wasn't on any medication. I had stopped taking my medication. I had tried to go to therapy for my sexual addiction and talking on the phone. And my grandmother slash mother ended up getting me committed. How did that feel? It was sad. I mean, I don't even remember. I wasn't even what she got me committed for. It wasn't my issue. It was because she thought I was sassy and I was a brat. And that's why she got me committed. And that it did no good. I mean, I was there for a week. I I was in a co-ed unit. There was boys there that were my age. So, I mean, (laughs) it didn't help any. I mean, the the mixture of um, sexual abuse and bipolar is just an automatic two warning signs for someone that, you know, could find love with with sex. Right. Yeah. And that's basically how all my relationships have been. Yeah. And they didn't, but they didn't think of that. Like that didn't come to their minds like, whoa, okay, we got two really significant things that have happened here. And how do we get her the right help? Right. No. I mean, teenage years are pretty shitty in a lot of ways already. So the only, would you say the only joy you could really find or the, or the way you could calm down is to be on the lines and talking to people? Yeah. And then um, I finally met a few people where we exchanged regular numbers. So I didn't, we didn't have, I didn't have to be on the line no more. And I met this guy from California. He was. 35. And he thought I was 18. Um, me and him developed a relationship and I fell in love with him. And I packed a bag and ran away to be with him. How did you get to California? That's a pretty far I trip. Never, I, I never, I never made it to California. I hopped on a bus and I made it to the middle of Ohio before I was found. Um, and who found you? Did they uh, put a police my, alert? The police, picked, the police picked me up because my family had um, contacted them and they went to the Greyhound and I stupidly gave them Greyhound my name for my ticket. So the Ohio the Police Department picked me up and they take me back to the police station where I have to wait for a ride to come pick me up. And I get yelled at all the way back home. So at this point, I am left with no phone privileges when I get home, no way to talk to anybody again. But do you ever follow up with your boyfriend? I mean, maybe it was a good thing they caught you. I mean, did you ever understand more yeah, about him? Yeah, yeah I, fought, I, fought, I, fought, I followed up with him. When my phone privileges got back, I, I told him that I was only 17. And... He was like, oh, my God, you could have gotten so much trouble and blah, blah, blah. So we waited until I turned 18. Okay. But at that, at that time, I had gotten a new boyfriend at the time. 
and um, things with my grandma slash mother were getting really crazy living with her. So I ended up moving in with my boyfriend. And how old was he? He was 24. Okay. So closer in age. Yeah. So I moved, so I moved in with him and I'm still talking to some other guy friends that I've met or whatever. So I'm living with him. And after a week that I start living with him, he gets abusive because one night I didn't want to go to bed and he wanted to go to bed. It was like nine o'clock at night. He had to get up early and I just didn't want to go to bed. And he thought I was on the phone with somebody and he comes out of the bedroom and he beats me to a bloody pulp. So the police show up, they arrest him, take him into custody. His mom wants me gone out of the apartment. She packs up my stuff, but I have nowhere to go. So his sister takes me in until he gets out of prison or out of jail. I should say not prison jail. Um, I don't press charges on him and me and him get back together. We stay together. Okay. So how does he get, how does he get you back with him? I don't know. I, I loved him. I, I, and I didn't know any better at the time. I loved him and he was just, he was sweet. I mean, he took me places. He did stuff for me. And, you know, he was, he convinced me that he loved me and that he wasn't going to do it again. So we find a new place. We move in. And within, I want to say two or three months, he's back to his usual self of being crazy and beating on me again. So one night I at work and I'm feeling really sick. So I have one of my coworkers bring me home and it's the male coworker and he brings me home. He brings me upstairs to make sure I get in safe or whatever. And me and this coworker end up having sex. Then a month later, I am really sick and I find out I'm pregnant. So at this point, my ex and I are still living together. He's dealing with my morning sickness. And I get so sick and he's working night shift and I was working night shift. I couldn't work night shift no more. And, um, I end up deciding that I need to go live back with my grandma slash mom. And so he moves in with his mom and I move back in with my parents and I'm work. I get a daytime job and I work during the day, um, until the baby's born which which I have a boy. And then I stay with my parents for about six months to a year. They help me raise him. And then me and my ex get back together and move, in, move into a place. And did he, had he gone through anger management classes or what, what made you think it was going to work this time? He was supposed to go through anger management classes and he did. And I figured it was going to work. You know, we had a kid together and I wanted to make it work. I wanted, I wanted my son to have his father in his life. I, you know, I didn't want him to go without his dad. Were you able to be faithful to, to him? I mean, were you completely monogamous with your boyfriend? Yeah, I was, I was monogamous with him, except for that one time that I cheated on him. Um, and I was, faithful to him until I ended up losing my job because of theft. And, um, I was home, home a lot more. 
And I was on the internet again, trolling, and he was working third shift, and I got lonely, and I found this guy who was in town, and he came over, and me and this guy started hooking up on a regular basis. And I got pregnant again. Was it the boyfriend's baby or this hookup baby? To this day, we don't know. I don't know if either one of my sons are the hookup babies or the father's babies. The father knows there's a possibility, but they're his kids, he says, and he doesn't want to find out. And he, he loves them, right? Because they live with him? Oh, yeah. He loves them. He, he raised them. He loves, he loves them. He's married now. He has another, uh, another baby boy and a stepson. So you made a good choice with getting back together with them, I suppose, because, you know, it would take a lot for a guy to want to raise somebody else's kid or the thought it could be someone else's kid and right, um, right. provide them a, a stable, would you say he provides them a stable home? Oh, yeah, they, they, have a, they have a stable home. I mean, he bought a house and, you know, my oldest is now 17 He's learning how to, he's learning, his dad's teaching him how to drive along with the stepmom. They have, they get pretty much whatever they want. So, I mean, they're not, I wouldn't say they're spoiled, but they get things that they need. They're provided for. Okay. Okay. So then you guys break up for good. Yeah, we break up for good about when um, my second son is about six months old. And then do you move back with your grandma slash mom? Well, actually, at the time, after at the time when um, my son was six months old, I had found another guy, and I, I I started dating him. And after like a couple months, he moved in with me, and he was helping me, you know, raise the kids along with the kid's father. And we were doing we were doing good. Then I get pregnant by him. Okay, he's a good guy. He's a good. He's at this point, he's a good guy. So, I mean, he doesn't lay a hand on me or anything. Um, anything like that. So I get pregnant by him. And during this time, I find out that he's possibly cheating on me or people are talking that he's cheating on me. So I'm like, I don't want to have to deal with this. I kicked him out. And um, I brought my ex back in for a while. He helped me raise my son, raise the kids. And he was there for me with the birth of my third son. He named him he was going to raise him. Me and him were talking about getting back together and getting married. But I think about two or three weeks after my son is born, I realized that I can't do this. This is not fair to the other guy. And then that's when we completely, completely break up for good. And everything, all ties, you know, love and everything are gone. We just, we totally separate. So I get back with my other ex. So he can move back in and he was fine, but, um, money and, um, stuff is really tight. And for like the next two to three years, we're bouncing around between my sister, his mom, his sister. And so we finally find a place and we can settle down. And at this point, my boys are floating between me and their dad. When we finally find a place and settle down, um, I get pregnant again and I have my daughter last one. We're doing good for a while. There's no cheating. There's nothing, there's nothing going on with this guy until about 2012, 
2012, my sister slash aunt passed away with cancer, of cancer, breast cancer, it spread to her lungs. Um, and I will never, ever forget the day she died because I never got to say goodbye to her. But um, after that, I was a big mess. I was a big mess. I needed my husband's love. And I wasn't, I wasn't getting it from him. And I took to taking, um, pain medication, anything that I can get my hands on, muscle relaxers. And, um, in March that year, I took up and went on a trip to, um, Minnesota. And I stayed up there for a month and I ended up cheating on my husband for a month. Next, Erica tells us more about her drug use the death of her aunt, and we learn about how she was led to writing men in jail and fell in love with someone in jail when we return. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. After Erica's aunt passed away from cancer, she turned to drugs to deal with the sadness. And how did you get the drugs? Some of the prescription drugs that I had, others I got from people here in town. How easy was that to secure drugs? Oh, uh, in in a small town, it's very easy. And would it cost a lot of money? How would you How would you fund? Would you'd have to buy the pills? No, I it, it, didn't, it didn't cost a lot of money. And some of the people that I got them from were friends. So, I mean, we trade we trade stuff. Or what was your drug of choice? Really, at the time, it was Xanax and. Darvaset before Darvaset went off the market. So would that just like take the pain away? What what how, what would you feel when you were on that? Do you think it was you were self medicating your bipolar at this point in your depression? So I was, was self medicating my bipolar. I was just trying to take a take away the pain because I did. I did before I took off to Minnesota. I did try killing myself. I did try walking out in front of a vehicle, but the vehicle had stopped before they got close enough to hit me did they know did the vehicle step out and say anything to you like no they didn't they just thought i didn't see them this was a small town and everybody in this town is nice so they just thought i was didn't see them coming so did you ever get to resolve anything with your with your uncle no and do you think that played a part in that in that whole thing just wanting to get some closure um I did, but like to this day, he still doesn't talk to me. He's still alive. My uncle is, yes. And have you ever written him a letter or something to just let him know that you know what he did and his time will come? He, he, I think he's, he's getting karma right now. <laughs> he, he knows, he knows what he did and he knows that it will, it will it'll come back to him. Every every day, though, I wish that it was him that died instead of my sister slash aunt. That you know he was the bad person. That he should he should have been the one that got cancer. Did she and not her? 
Did she ever divorce him? No. So she's so and, and did you forgive her for that? I mean, I would find it. She never knew. She she never knew. She was never told. I yeah. never told her. Oh, you never told. Now, what stopped you from telling her? I don't know. She like she was. She'd been through so much with him, and I mean, he cheated on her constantly. She stayed. Um, he was her only source of income, so that's why she stayed. And it just, I just never told her. And then when I wanted to come out and tell her because I needed the help is when they found out she had cancer. And, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to tell somebody who has cancer, yeah, your husband did this to me. After an addiction to phone sex and hooking up with men she met through phone lines and chat rooms, Erica ended up talking to men where there was no chance of intimacy at all, at least not until they were released from jail. In one specific case that Erica mentions, she had been sending money to a man who she thought was in love with her and talked about plans of getting together once he was released. However, after his sentence was over, Erica learned that it was just a lie and she had been used. I mean, I just feel like you writing these guys in prison is almost a way for you to protect yourself because you you almost know it can't go that far. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a way, I mean, it is. I mean, I still would like to have intimacy with someone, but talk, talking and writing to them, I guess, is a sense of like, okay, well, yeah, they yeah. can't hurt me. They yes. can't. Yeah. They yes. can't abuse me. They That's can't right. punch me. They can't hit me. Like when I kind of listen to your story and I think about you writing and falling in love with someone in jail, a lot of things come to me like ahas for me you know um you you're in more control they need you they can't abuse you you can't be intimate with them which allows you to not lose control so it's almost like you have been self-medicating with writing to someone in in prison which in some way is very much a survival tactic i mean it's it's smart on your part in a in a very interesting way you know, because you're allowing yourself to not be hurt. But then it doesn't leave space for someone to come into your life that could really be a partner to you. And that, That's true. That's true. Especially, especially after what happened with this other person. Who, can I, who do I trust now? Who do I trust when I write or talk to? I mean, like, it's almost like if I want to write to someone again, I want to write to a lifer that I know is not going to get out. So I know that when they get out, they don't, they don't hurt me in the end. I mean, do you think about what's next for you in in relationship, in love? I mean, I don't know. Like right now, um, I'm going to therapy. Um, I go to therapy. I go to therapy once a week. Um, uh, I have been talking to someone else that's not in prison. He's on the outside. We've developed a friendship. So. I, I'm just, just going from there. I mean, I have a couple more friends that are still in prison that I will continue to write to. I don't send them money or anything. It's strictly a friendship thing. So I'm hoping that I can just grow and be happy and get over the situation. I know the child abuse situation, I will never grow and get over that. But Yeah, I don't know anybody that ever has. I think they... They learn 
how do you deal with it? But I, I've never met anyone that said, oh yeah, no, I got over it. Never have I ever heard that from someone. I don't think it's something anybody ever gets over. They just, I don't know. I, I often wonder when I, when I hear people that have had extreme abuse, I, I don't know how they do it. I'm amazed. I'm so just inspired by them because it takes a lot of courage to get past that and to try to create a life and not let it, not let it bring you down. Do you have like hobbies or something you do as an outlet for yourself besides writing men in jail? I read. I read a lot. I binge watch shows on Netflix. I recently got myself a tablet for Christmas, so I downloaded a whole bunch of games on there. So I play a whole bunch of different games during the day when the kids are at school. And then when the kids are at home or kids get home from school, they keep me running around the house and busy. So I try, I try to keep as busy as possible, but there's just some days that I can't. Do you do a lot of stuff outside the house to try to Im- increase your socialization outside of the home? I don't like going outside a lot. Like, I don't know if it, I actually just like have a fear of going out. I don't like a lot of people and I get very, I get anxiety. So it takes a lot out of me to actually make it out of the house. How does it feel when you need to go to the grocery store and doctor's appointments and pick up the kids from oh, school? Well, I, I know I, I know I gotta go, so like I go, but like the grocery store is like one of the worst. Like in, mm-hmm. in town here, it's fine because it's a super small store, but if I have to go to like Walmart or something, like there's been times where I've like frozen in the aisle and just started freaking out because there's just so many people and they're rude and they just get in my way and I can have a bad mouth and get a bad temper and I'm trying to keep calm and it it just doesn't work. Thanks for listening to Stand Up Speak Up. For show notes and resources for this episode, please visit standupspeakupblog.com. Erica writing a prisoner in jail is not as unique as one might think. It makes sense that there are so many people that are in the prison system, both in Canada and the U.S., and virtually around the world, that is almost like a whole new like subculture. And the whole pen pal thing, I mean, there are numerous sites that you can sign up to that allow you to create a pen pal relationship with someone in a foreign jail or in a local jail, you could actually pick on some sites which jail or which area you want to focus on to find a pen pal. It works very much like a dating site. You go online, you look at people's profiles, the prisoners introduce themselves, they bring, they show a picture of themselves, maybe they show a few pictures, they talk about their personality, they talk about their sign, their astrology sign. If they're artists, they show their artwork I mean, it's it's actually quite an extensive profile you can get on someone. And also you can see what their crime is. So you would think that if someone was, you know, interested in female bank robbers, they could probably find one. I think that a lot of women like to write some of these hardcore bad boys that are extreme bad boys and they seem to find it quite exciting and captivating to have this friend that is very dangerous but can't 
can't hurt them because they're so far away or they don't have to be fearful of them. I always find it amazing when people that have been in jail for 20 years, people on death row or, or serial killer, serial rapists, meet women online and actually marry them when they're in jail. I mean, it's a whole different world. And I don't think I really understood it until I went in and looked at all these pen pal sites. And I picked a few prisoners that I really thought their artwork was very unique for our store, Stand Up, Speak Up, Apparel, because we like really interesting, unique art that talks about um, difficult subjects. And one of our subjects is the justice system. And it was pretty interesting that I could go in there and look at their artwork and then decide how I wanted to interact with them. So what you do is you send an, an email through the system and then they write back and then the system then mails that to you. So you don't have to tell anything about yourself. The prisoner would never know even who you are or what your name is unless you identified yourself. In my case, I was looking more for unique artists. So when I sent out those letters, I, I haven't got a reply yet because I, I, looking back, I probably wasn't that interesting of a letter because I was more talking about their artwork and if they'd like to showcase us, showcase it in our store, showcase it, sorry, <laughs> in our store. And I didn't really talk about myself very much. And one of the things that Erica shared with me is that it's really important that when you're talking to these people that have lost a lot of hope and it's extreme boredom that you share your life, and who you are as a part of that relationship. And I'm just so used to asking people about their lives. I don't think to share my life and I don't know how comfortable I would be. I'm going to be honest in that, in that scenario, just because I don't really know what, what I don't know. And I think that, if you start to build up a relationship, maybe you would share more. But I, I do know that if I looked and I saw that their reason for being in there was for raping or murdering or doing something, you know, pretty extreme, I, I really don't think I'd want to continue that relationship. Um, because there's a lot of really good people that just make bad decisions that are in jail. And a lot of the people that are in jails, unfortunately, are in there for mental health issues. They're in there for small drug dealing, like like marijuana. And a lot of times the drug dealing because they're addicts. And so really, it's like the whole chicken and the egg thing. So I think from that standpoint, you could really select who you'd like to write to. And some of the crimes are really, you know, small, even like shoplifting. I'm not saying shoplifting's, you know, not a crime and not really bad to do, but I don't think it compares to somebody murdering someone else. Or, I mean, what's really, what's a really, I think home invasion is when you, somebody really gets like 20 years. Home invasion apparently is one of the worst things that a criminal could do. But anyways, back to Erica. I think that it was just interesting that she chooses these relationships with these bad boys in jail that probably are never going to become a real relationship. It's just not the reality. And I think a large part of her doesn't even want it to become that. Because I think that if you continue to write or continue to meet people that are out of reach, I think that's also a way to protect yourself and not have to become intimate in an uncomfortable way. 
I think Erica also with her, her past and the abuse she's had in the past, I don't think her reaching out to some of these bad boys is in her best interest. And I call them bad boys because her, the type of guys that she's interested in are usually muscular, younger, have that exact description of what a bad boy would be like. And and I, I really don't know why girls are so attracted to bad boys. I know that sounds like so close-minded of me, but I've always been attracted to really kind, smart people. I don't know if that's my upbringing. I don't know if I'm just lucky that that's what I find attractive and sexy, but I love the fact that my husband is kind and, and sweet and a good person. And I don't, I don't need him to be an asshole to me, that's for sure. And I wish that Erica would value herself in that she deserves someone that treats her well and is good to her and kind to her. And instead of resisting someone who's good to her, learn to embrace it. Because I think right now her self-esteem is is fragile and she needs to find, I guess first she needs to learn herself and then hopefully she can find someone that doesn't take advantage of her vulnerability. But anyways, if you're looking for something to do on a Friday, Saturday night, you just go in and look at an example is writeaprisoner.com, cruise through the site, find someone that you'd like to learn more about and write them. It's that easy. The prisoners do have to pay to go on the site. We get it for free, but the prisoners do pay for the privilege of talking to a stranger. The Stand Up Speak Up podcast is made in Canada. Produced and hosted by Carla Stevens Tolstoy. Co-production, editing, and narration by Joel at East Coast Radio Creative. Copyright 2018. Find us online at standupspeakupapparel.com. If you have a moment, please leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to Stand Up Speak Up. Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world, and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.